From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the Harris-Biden ticket continuing to sidestep the question of retaliation. If Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court, retaliating with court packing. Why have the courts become so politicized? Why is this such a big deal? Well, we'll talk about that and the continued attacks on Judge Barrett's Christian faith with Nebraska Senator Ben Sass, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, in just a moment. Senator Ted Cruz also joins us with his insights on Judge Barrett and the newly declassified CIA document showing Hillary Clinton and President Obama's role in the Russia investigation. Senator Cruz also has a new book out. We'll talk about that. It's a book on the courts. Very timely. We'll also get an update from the White House on the president and the coronavirus with White House Deputy Communications Director Brian Morgenstern. And speaking of the coronavirus, a very large group of international scientists and medical professionals are saying it's time. It's time to open things back up. Dr. Andrew Bostom, Associate Professor of Family Medicine at Brown University, is here on the recently released Great Barrington Declaration. You won't want to miss that conversation. And David Clawson will be joining me a little bit later with a preview of what's coming up Sunday night, Freedom Sunday from Southern California. You can check out the website, freedomsunday2020.com, to find out more about that event. Also, if you're on Twitter or Parlor. It is uh, at T. Perkins. All right, last night in the presidential debate, uh, we once again saw the Harris-Biden ticket sidestepping the question of court packing. Uh, courts have become front and center now that there's a vacancy on the court. Why is the left so fixated with the court? Join me now to talk more about this, Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. He is also a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he'll be front and center next week when the confirmation hearing begins. Senator, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you. Well, let me just start with this, um, a, a broader question. A broader question about why are the courts so important? Why has this been so politicized? Well, I think going all the way back in 1987, uh, there are many on the left. It's not everybody on the left. There are a lot of Nebraska Democrats who are still reasonable, but there are many elite leftists who believe in government. They don't necessarily affirm the core American idea of universal human dignity and therefore limited government because our freedom of speech, religion, press, assembly, protest, et cetera, the great five cluster of freedoms in the First Amendment, those are pre-governmental rights. And we believe in limited government because we believe in that universal dignity. But if on the left you instead believe government should be the center of everybody's life and attention and conversation and alliances, then they like the idea of a super legislature as well. Um, and that is kind of how many of them have viewed the courts for the last four or five decades. And so when they have somebody like Amy Barrett before them, an extraordinary jurist who understands the modest, humble role of a judge, they're threatened by that because they want to call everybody else an activist since their view is actually that courts are supposed to be activists. But, Senator, you've made some really good points in the past on that topic by saying that Congress really has facilitated this um, super legislature, if you will, the nine black robes. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the founders believed in distinguishing uh, between vertical and horizontal uh, separation of powers and checks and balances. And at the so that means state and local government is where most governance functions should happen in a limited number at the federal. But at the federal level, you distinguish between legislative, Article 1, executive, Article 2, and judicial, Article 3. And we have an impotent uh, legislature for a really long time where every single decade you see the growth of executive branch unilateralism. You see the growth of the administrative state, and you see the growth of activist courts, largely because the legislature underreaches. There are a lot of people in the Congress who want the job forever more than they really want to use the role uh, to, to steward their responsibilities for the American people while they're there. And so if Congress doesn't solve problems, it makes sense. Uh, that the executive branch is not okay, but it makes sense that the executive branch would try to fill that vacuum and then courts would try to net out the differences. And so we have both an Article 2 and an Article 3 branch that overreach because our Article 1 branch doesn't do its job. Well, and part of that is because when you take hard votes, you have to, when you take on tough issues, you have a record. And that sometimes, if you are on the wrong side of it, could be a, a hindrance to reelection. I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, there's a lot. I'm one of eight or nine out of 100 in the Senate who's never been a politician uh, before running for the Senate. And before I got there, I really believed, as I think a lot of my neighbors believe, that one of the biggest problems in Washington is a bunch of people who are too power hungry. In a weird way, what we really have is a bunch of legislators who are so fame hungry that they're power averse. There are a lot of people who don't want to exercise power because if you do, you're going to have to net out some trade-offs. You're going to have to explain yourself to the American people, and they may not reelect you. So a lot of people in the Congress would rather not do anything to seemingly not offend anybody. But what really ends up happening is a Congress that isn't trusted because it doesn't tackle the biggest political problems that are facing the American people. Let, let me – I want to play a clip from last night's debate where the uh, vice president – Again, just like the president did with Joe Biden, he asked Kamala Harris about the court packing threat. You've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. Are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... Well, I'd like you to answer the question. Now, Mr. Yes, Vice she, President, I'm speaking. Please, I'm speaking. The American people deserve to make the decision about who will be the next president of the United States. And then that person can select who will serve for a lifetime on the highest court of our land. Was that an answer? Uh, she went back to 160 years uh, to not answer the question, are you going to try to pack the court? I think it, it, the number one headline of last night, um, and it's an echo of what happened in the presidential debate, uh, you know, a week and a half ago, is that they will not, the Biden and Harris ticket will not answer if they plan to pack the Supreme Court, which pretty much tells you that they are very much online uh, with the woke desire to make the Supreme Court 13 or 15 people to import some of the craziest radical ideas from campus into our jurisprudence. The idea that speech you don't like is violence 
is crazy and anti-American. It's also really, really popular on campus right now. And that's the kind of stuff that I think you'd see on the Supreme Court, that kind of attack on the First Amendment, on religious liberty, on free speech, on free assembly, um, if, if they make a Supreme Court of 13 or 15 people. And I think that's the number one issue on the ballot uh, November 3rd. And it's why maintaining a majority in the U.S. Senate is the most important election before us. And, Senator, to that point, part of the motivation there obviously has to be the the judges and justices that have been placed on to not only the Supreme Court, but appellate courts and lower courts in the last three and a half years that uh, the Senate has been a part of confirming. These are constitutionalists that are bound to the Constitution, and that is frustrating to the left. Yeah, uh, it is the most important thing that's happened in government in the last three and a half years is uh, 200 new uh, textualists and originalists on the courts. Um, you know, with almost a third of those are appellate courts, uh, vacancies that were filled. Uh, and then obviously the two onto the Supreme Court and hopefully having Amy Barrett join their number uh, in the next few weeks. That That is the most important positive development in, in the U.S. government these last three years. And the left is just apoplectic at the idea that you'd put people on the courts who put on a black robe and understand the humility that's enshrined in you cloaking your personal partisan or policy preferences. Uh, Senator, uh, you have made it very clear that the attacks on Amy Coney Barrett's faith are, you know, th- that's, a, that's, that's crossing the line. But are, are you anticipating that, given the backlash that the left received previously in the character assassination attempts with Kavanaugh, do you think that's going to happen again next week in committee? Boy, I wish it wouldn't, but my suspicion is that we're going to hear a lot more um, about Judge Barrett's faith in a disparaging way over the coming days. I think, you know, Senator uh, Kamala Harris and Senator Maisie Hirono have both done this in the past to Catholic nominees that were before the Judiciary Committee, and I suspect that Senator Hirono is going to go full Avenatti again and say things that are stupid and cruel. I mean, we've seen it in the confirmation hearings of Brian Bisher from Nebraska, uh, Peter Phipps of Pennsylvania. We saw it for Judge Barrett herself in 2017 when she was up uh, for the Seventh Circuit vacancy. So there, there, is, there is no doubt that our Constitution prohibits religious tests, and there should not be any qualifying uh, factor for office that flow from these religious and theological questions. But there are many people on the left who want to say there's some sort of doomsday scenario out there if religious people are active in the public square. And I mean, it's it's not just stupid. Um, it's incredibly sexist, these stories about people of praise uh, and the attempts to try to make Amy Barrett seem like, you know, there are all these people that supposedly have a secret plot to manipulate and control her. Obviously, they're doing a terrible job because the woman excels in every domain of life. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really nonsensical. You know, they're saying that she's in this uh, uh, patriarchal move where, you know, women are not given any room to breathe or, you know, do anything. But here she is being being nominated to the highest court in the land, one of the most significant positions. Uh, unfortunately, it is an extremely significant position. So, I mean, it just it, it just doesn't add up at on its face. Um let me right. let me let me ask you this: When you talk talk about this attack on the faith, we're hoping it doesn't happen, but most likely it will. What does this tell us more beyond the court about the left and their view of, quite frankly, a majority of Americans who think their faith 
they, 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 their faith is important to them, and they act based upon that faith. Yeah, I mean, there are so many um, basic American civic truths that we should back up and talk about in a, in a time like this. I mean, unfortunately, we've not been doing basic civics in the country uh, since the late 1960s. Um, but there is such a bizarre view that somehow – People who believe something and are active in public life, trying to love their neighbor and serve, are violating the American idea. No, the American idea is precisely that, even though we might differ about really important things like theology. um, We don't think that the purpose of government is to net those kinds of things out. The purpose of government is to maintain a framework for ordered liberty so Americans who differ about theology know that we're all protected from violence about matters like that, and we can actually break bread together and sit around a table and argue and try to persuade one another. Maybe even people will shout in their arguments in the public square. Um, That's not desirable, but it's what our system precisely envisions as the way that you preclude violence in the public square so that the more important things, the matters of the heart, matters of the soul, matters of conviction and conversion and persuasion and creed, those are the things we get a wrestle about, but free from violence. That's what government's for. It's not to take people who have creed and say, you actually have to be banished from public life. And there, there's just so much about the elite left that has just lost touch with not just the history of American civics, but the way regular people live their lives. Yeah, that, that is so insightful because if we can't come to consensus through a process by which we respect one another, even though we disagree, and we can argue about those things, but we, we, if we can't voice our opinions and our thoughts and our views, that's where it spills over into the streets where there's, there's the violence and the unrest. Senator, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us, and obviously we're going to be watching very, very closely next week. Thanks, Tony. Have a great day, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. All right, coming up next, we'll be joined by another senator. Senator Ted Cruz joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. 
From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider and instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Listening to Washington Watch, I'm your host Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us. Hey, uh, let me uh, once again encourage you to take the challenge—the challenge to pray, vote, and stand. We're coming up on one of the most important elections in the history of our republic. Take the challenge to pray, to vote, to stand. Text me the word "vote" V O T E to five three four four five. That number again: five three four four five. The word "vote," and you'll be. Right there in the midst of the challenge. Pray, vote, stand, or go to TonyPerkins.com. You can take it there as well. All right, we, uh, we just touched on this topic with Senator Ben Sass about why the court has become so important, so politicized. Well, my next guest has actually written a book on it. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas is not only a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, but he also clerked at the Supreme Court for the late Chief Justice William Rehnquist. And he is the author of a brand new book, very timely, I should say, One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History. Senator Ted Cruz, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me once again. Well, uh, a timely a book coming out about the uh, significance of one seat. Uh, holding a copy of the book right here, One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History. And uh, we're seeing history unfold right before us, are we not? Uh, Undoubtedly. I think the the nomination of Judge Barrett uh, may well be the single most important decision President Trump has made. Uh, You know, this book I I wrote uh, this spring and fall, uh, this spring and summer, and and when I was home on COVID lockdown and and was sitting in my living room, grabbed the laptop and and, and wrote the book, and, and obviously I didn't know we would have a Supreme Court vacancy in October. But I knew we'd have a, a presidential election in December, and and I think judicial nominations and the Supreme Court in particular is the single most important issue in this election, and 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 so the book was designed to really 
delve into that and explain why. And, and, and the book is not – it's not an academic book. It's not an abstract book. It's a very practical, real book where, where each chapter addresses a different constitutional liberty. There's a chapter on free speech, a chapter on religious liberty, a chapter on the Second Amendment. And, 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 and it, it, it tell, I tell war stories. As you know, before I was in the Senate, I was a Supreme Court litigator. What, what I did for a living was argue cases in front of the Supreme Court. And so I take readers inside the court, behind the curtain, to really understand – what's going on, who the justices are, and, and, and how these fundamental liberties, that, that they, they impact your life so much. Yeah, in fact, uh, you write in the book, uh, quote, God may endow us with certain unalienable rights, but whether we enjoy them depends on nine judges, the priest of the robe, who have the last say in our system of government. And, and, and that is the effect of the court. They can actually rewrite the Constitution with their opinions, yeah. and they have. They have, and, and if you look at constitutional right after constitutional right, the book discusses many of the big landmark decisions. And, and it's stunning how many of them were 5-4, that we're just one vote away from losing our fundamental liberty. So, for example... On, on the chapter on religious liberty, one of the cases I talk about is the Texas Ten Commandments case. We have in mm -hmm. Texas on the state capitol grounds a monument to the Ten Commandments. It's been there since 1961. Uh, an individual plaintiff, an atheist, who happens to be a homeless man, filed a lawsuit arguing you can't have the Ten Commandments anywhere on public land. That case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And we won 5-4. That means there were four justices prepared to order, send in the bulldozers, knock down the monument. Likewise, another case was defending the Mojave Desert Veterans Memorial, a, a, a lone white Latin cross erected over 70 years ago to honor the men and women who gave their lives in World War One. The ACLU sued, saying you can't have the image of a cross on public land. They won in the district court. They won in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. We went to the Supreme Court. I've represented over 3 million veterans pro bono for free uh, defending that, that veterans memorial, and we won 5-4. But there were four justices ready to order that veterans memorial turned down, and, and they were not far from sending out the chisels to remove the crosses and stars of David from the tombstones at Arlington Cemetery. This, this is how fragile our fundamental rights are, and we're one vote away from losing them. So, uh, Senator, how can folks get a copy of your book, One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History? So you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes & Noble. You can get it anywhere, anywhere you get books. And i, and I got to say, Tony, it's been incredible. The book came out last week, and, and, and it rose to be, become the number one bestseller in the country on Amazon. And, and so it's, it's – I think for a lot of folks, they know the Supreme Court's important. They know the issues there are important, but it's, it's confusing. It's hard to understand what's really going on, and, and this book is designed to be understandable, to make sense. By the way, this book um, I, I, I think is, is very good also for students, for high school students, even for, for uh, precocious junior high kids. They could get a lot out of it, but for any – any person, you don't have to be a lawyer to enjoy this book. If you want to know more about what's going on at the Supreme Court, if you care about our Bill of Rights, if, if you want to know more about this election, what the stakes are, if, if God forbid Joe Biden and, and, and 
Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi win, what the stakes are for the country, this book is designed to really give you the information as you're talking to your friends and family and neighbors and, and the confirmation battle for Judge Barrett. If you want to understand really what the stakes are, this book is designed to help you in that. All right, Senator, we're almost out of time, but uh, speaking of Judge Barrett, what can we anticipate next week when she's in the committee that you're a part of? Well, I, I think the Democrats are, are going to try to turn it into a political circus like they did for Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, but we're going to move forward. I don't think the Democrats are going to be successful in stopping this nomination. I believe we have the votes, and, and I believe we will confirm Judge Barrett as Justice Barrett before the end of the month before Election Day. All right. Well, we uh, hope to talk to you uh, maybe next week as that process unfolds. Senator Ted Cruz, uh, best of luck on the new book. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, my friend. God bless. Okay. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas out with a new book. Again, very timely. One vote away, how a single Supreme Court seat can change History. All right, coming up next, we're going to be joined by the White House, going to check in on the president as he's recovering from the coronavirus. But also, newly declassified CIA CIA documents show Hillary Clinton and President Obama and their connection with the Russian investigation, the hoax. We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org.
Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, at T Perkins. Take the challenge. Text the word vote to 53445. Your vote matters now more than ever. 53445. All right. Last night in the uh, the presidential vice presidential debate, uh, the whole issue with coronavirus uh, was uh, front and center. Of course, the president uh, recovering from the coronavirus. Um, one thing that was not talked about uh, was newly declassified documents that uh, connects the fact that the president was briefed on Hillary Clinton's plans to tie then candidate Donald Trump to Russia as a means of distracting the public from her use of private email service. And that wasn't talked about last night. Well, joining us with an update from uh, the White House to give us an update on how the president is uh, doing as he is recovering is White House uh, Deputy Communications Director and Deputy Press Secretary Brian Morgenstern. Brian, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. Well, Brian, I know that our listeners are, uh, you know, they're getting reports from the media, but they would like to hear. How's the president doing? Well, uh, he is doing great. He is recovering fast. He is symptom-free, and he's really never stopped working. I I don't think he knows how to stop working, frankly. Uh, So he he was uh, signing a number of proclamations and uh, disaster uh, declarations, things like that, when he was even at Walter Reed uh, and being briefed by his national security team as well. Since he's been back at the White House, he's been briefed on a hurricane. Uh, He's been fully engaged in stimulus uh, negotiations, trying to get things back on track because because we know there are Americans who are suffering. We want to help them. The economy is doing well, but we can do a little better. Uh, we just need the Democrats to actually negotiate in good faith instead of playing games. Uh, we don't think they want a deal before the election, unfortunately, for political reasons, but, uh, but we'll keep trying. Uh, but the president's working hard. Um, in fact, he uh, stopped down into the Oval Office yesterday. He is in the Oval Office today, and uh, the staff were able to engage with him very safely at a distance with PPE. Uh, we think he is, if he is uh, contagious at all, that is certainly going down and he will very soon be uh, not infectious at all. And his recovery is doing great. Uh, his uh, examinations from the doctors are showing antibodies. That's an excellent sign. Uh, and we think that he's really going to be living proof that Operation Warp Speed has been a tremendous success at getting treatments and soon a vaccine to market in record time. And he's benefiting from some of the very same treatments that patients across our country are getting uh, to shorten their hospital stays and lower the mortality rates and lower the risk of this disease. So really great progress. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit more in the next segment about the uh, what the future looks like. But I think part of it, the antibodies, uh, you know, I've, I had the coronavirus, uh, so I've got the antibodies and I don't have to worry about getting it or spreading it. In fact, I'm a part of the defense and there's more people build up that immunity, the better off we all are. I, I want to go back to the, something you just said about the relief package, because last night in the debate, uh, Kamala Harris saying, and I'm going to quote from her, uh, talking about, uh, let me just, she said this, but this administration stood on information that if you had, as a parent, 
if you had as a worker knowing you didn't have enough money saved up and now you're standing in a food line because of the ineptitude of the administration that was unwilling to speak the truth to the American people, talking about how the administration held back information. But what the hypocrisy they're talking about Americans being in food lines. Well, it's the Democrats that are blocking this latest relief package. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's incredible. The, the Republicans and President Trump has said, let's do a standalone bill for stimulus checks for people who need them. Let's do a standalone bill uh, for the small business program, for PPP. Uh, let's do a, a package that has PPP and airlines and stimulus checks. He has had to act on his own to extend unemployment insurance. He's done an eviction moratorium. He's done student loan relief. He's done a uh, payroll tax holiday. He's done a tremendous amount on his own. He has encouraged Congress to do a package that addresses problems actually facing people due to the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the Democrats have been unserious, and they keep they keep proposing this wish list of liberal items, including right. you know really crazy things um, that have absolutely nothing to do with coronavirus. That, that includes benefits for illegal immigrants. It's cashless bail. It's ballot harvesting. I mean, it's outrageous. And so it, it's promotion of marijuana. I mean, it's it's all kinds yeah, of stuff yeah, out yeah. in left field. Uh, but we'll have to run out of time. But I, I got to ask you this question. What sure. what is the White House hope comes from the declassification of these documents that show that Barack Obama was briefed uh, on mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton's plans to tie then uh, candidate Donald Trump to Russia to cover her own tracks? It, 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 uh, I mean, this stuff looks criminal. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's really scandalous. And it's shameful that the mainstream media is not picking up on this because our country was dragged through a sham for years. And it's based on this. We want people to be held to account and we want transparency to get politics out of intelligence. Are we going to see more? Are we going to see something happen with this information? Well, that's the hope. And the DNI provided information to the Durham probe so that those investigators uh, can look into it. And that's a great positive step. All right. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you, Tony. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, folks, don't go. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation on the coronavirus because it was a a very important document released uh, just, uh, well, earlier this month, the Great Barrington Declaration. And it, it, this is not by, this is not coming from the right. It's coming from a mixture. A lot of folks on the left saying it's time. It's time to open society back up. We're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Andrew Bostom next. Don't go away. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. 
Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So glad you are with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. By the way, if you happen to miss this week's edition of Pray, Vote, Stand, uh, you can uh, go to PrayVoteStand.org and uh, watch it. Uh, it's, uh, it's worth 30 minutes to watch. Good content this week as we look at uh, the educational program being promoted by the, high, the uh, Harris-Biden ticket. I, you might want to take a look at it. All right, this is a topic that I, I'm really, you hear me talking about a lot, but it's the coronavirus and the, um, you know, the fear that has gripped our society and has everybody in hiding. And it's, it, it, we've just got to confront it. We've got to face it. And I was so um, encouraged to see a document that over 4,900 medical and public health scientists, over 9,500 medical practitioners, and over 130 30,000 members of the general public have signed it. It's called the Barrington Declaration. Now, what is it? Well, here to tell us about it, my next guest, he is a uh, Dr. Andrew Bostom. He is an epidemiologist, associate professor of family medicine at Brown University. Dr. Bostrom, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me on, Tony. All right, so tell our folks the, the great Barrington Declaration what is it? Why is it there? Well, it was um, it was put together by uh, three leading international uh, infectious disease epidemiologists, um, and the crux of it, uh, in their own words, is uh, that um, uh, quote adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses uh, to COVID nineteen unquote. 
And the reason they argue for this is the great devastation that, that lockdown policies are clearly producing, uh, both in the short and long term. Um, and um, they believe very strongly that uh, this is counter to uh, traditional epidemiologic uh, understandings. Uh, in, in particular, Tony, they would be very consistent with uh, the late great D.A. Henderson, who was the head of the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, and really spearheaded the, the drive to eradicate smallpox internationally. Um, he was he was vehemently opposed uh, to lockdowns. This idea had had surfaced back in the early 2000s, and he wrote a, a paper, was lead author on a paper, which condemned lockdowns for respiratory epidemics, respiratory virus epidemics, uh, c condemned uh, the the whole idea of uh, of, of um, you know, coercive uh, 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 masking and, and, and things that he just felt did not work. And, and his main point, and I think that's the point in, in this document, is that, you know, if, if the Hippocratic Oath is, is a, above all, do no harm, the, the epidemiologic equivalent is, a, is above all, do not stoke fear um, and, 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 and encourage people to live as normally as possible. And, and I think that's the that's the purpose of of, of this of this uh, document, and also to not ignore um, traditional epidemiologic principles like the idea that that the the, the, the the population that is that is less vulnerable to severe morbidity and mortality, much less vulnerable, be allowed to circulate and and to go to their jobs and and to get educated and build up build up herd immunity, natural herd immunity. Now this can right. be augmented if, 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 the, if there is a, a safe and, and successful uh, a vaccine that's developed, and I, and I know there are earnest efforts, uh, you know, toward that end. Um, but but until then, the, 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 the social and, and, and really physical and economic harms and, and health harms of lockdowns far outweigh uh, any any transient benefit. They they basically tend to they can sort of transiently protect the flow of, of sick patients to a hospital. Um, but they don't reduce the overall number of infections. Um, and by delaying the, 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 um, the ability of this less vulnerable segment, this vast less vulnerable segment of the population to develop herd immunity, it, 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 makes, them more, it makes them more dangerous to the truly vulnerable. See, the, the beauty of herd immunity is that once a person develops herd immunity, obviously they're, they're immune to reinfection themselves, or, or if they get reinfected, it's a very mild infection. But, but they're much less likely to transmit the disease. Right. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Right, right. And this is one of the few occasions where I, I'm proud to say I'm a part of the herd. Uh, I've, I've had the virus. Uh, I'm no longer, you know, susceptible to it, and I'm not going to pass it along. But th this document is, is very straightforward, very short, easy to read, folks. You can look at it, TonyPerkins.com. i got a, a link there. But uh, just to pull a couple of the points that you said, Doctor, out of this, it says, the the it starts with this you know the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing covid-19 policies and that's this you know this lockdown it goes on to say current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health lower childhood vaccination rates worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes fewer cancer screenings deteriorating mental health leading to greater ex, uh, excess mortality in years to come. And it goes on to say keeping students out of school is a grave in, 
justice, and then it goes into the herd mentality. Now, it also pulls out that there are those that are at uh, higher risk, and we need to take actions to protect those at higher risk and make accommodation. But to your point earlier, everyone else who is in the less susceptible category should be able to go about life as normal. Right, and, and I think one of, the, one of the points of emphasis that gets lost, Tony, is that, is that by allowing the less vulnerable out in society and instead of locking them down, not, not only do they avoid the direct harms of the lockdowns in terms of their own uh, economic and social uh, health, um, you're, you're allowing them to, to become infected and, and generate herd immunity, and ultimately that will protect the elderly as long as the elderly are are sheltered in this period where where the less vulnerable are, are getting are, are basically becoming infected with mild infections um if, if if you if you're constantly locking everybody down and going through cycles of lockdown you you delay this process and you, and right, you allow right. the contact between the two groups uh, to, to be in such a way that it causes more death right so you're you're delaying the inevitable but in the meantime, you're doing a lot more damage. If you just kind of, all right, let's let's be reasonable about this. Let's take the necessary precautions, but go about life as 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 normal as we can. We got to keep the economy going. We got to keep groceries on the on the shelves. We've got to take care of those in society that cannot uh, move about. This is crazy what we're doing, and what I find you know fascinating about this, encouraging by this, is that this is not coming from the right. There, there are. This is a mixture, but there's a lot of kind of people on here that have signed this that I wouldn't agree with on a lot of stuff. Uh, but the science oh, yeah. speaks very oh, clearly. Dr. Dr. Gupta, uh, Dr. Sunitra Gupta from Oxford, uh, Dr. Martin Kolder from Harvard. I mean, they're they're proud academic leftists. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, Dr. Bhattacharya is, is, I would say, is a little more of a centrist, but absolutely, they they are they. they, they Two of the leading uh, uh, promoters of, of, of this idea and, this, and, 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 um, and, and who, who composed the document are, are uh, you know, proudly avowed academic leftists, no question. So let me ask you this question. How did we get here? How, how did we get to this? Since, you know, most of the experts, scientists say we've never done this before. It's not a good idea. How did we get here? I, I think I think there were some uh, some terrible uh, fear mongering models um, that that because of these these cataclysmic scenarios uh, just got too much attention. Uh, you know the infamous uh, Neil Ferguson model from the Imperial College um, and uh, why these gained the currency they did and. Uh, look, they they were they were accepted ultimately, unfortunately, by Dr. Fauci himself. Uh, you know, and 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 that was that was a critical mistake on on his on his part. You know, President Trump is not an, is not uh, an infectious disease expert, let alone an epidemiologist. Um, it should have it should have it should have gone through the filter of Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks. Um, and I'm I'm frankly appalled uh, uh, because Dr. Gupta, uh, again, one of the main promoters of this document. Um, she 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 is one of the world's leading infectious disease epidemiologists, and she opposed the Ferguson model from the get-go and proposed alternative models. I don't know why she was ignored in favor of someone who's not even an epidemiologist, frankly, and and who had a track record uh, of failure going back to mad cow disease, which she thought was going to be a, catac- a cataclysm for Great Britain, uh, and he was totally wrong about about the swine flu too. 
uh, as it turns out. So I, I don't know why why his sort of unfiltered view uh, got through and had this impact. And, of course, the media love to jump on this and spread the fear, and they continue to spread it to this day. Uh, and that's why I think this is such a reasonable approach. Thankful for those that are willing to just speak the science. Um, and, 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 and let me just, a final question for you, Dr. Balsam. Is this catching on? Is this getting people's attention? I think it is. I think it is. There was actually, I was surprised to see, um, you know, it was sort of semi-critical, but it, but, but, um, it was a more balanced story than you would have expected from the BBC about this. Uh, so I thought that was a that was a very good sign, uh, and 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 of course beyond you know beyond the BBC, um, it, it's it's getting some more balanced uh, attention. I think it's going to be viciously attacked in in this country uh, by the supporters of uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks because let's face it, Tony, at a certain point this becomes uh, a a an academic uh, or public health embarrassment. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that this alternative view has been out there. It's a very reasonable view. It's actually a very, again, it's a very traditional view. Um, yeah. And um, I, I think that there's, they dig in. People that are embarrassed dig in. Yeah. Dr. Andrew Bostom, thank you so much for, uh, for joining sure. us. Great, uh, great conversation. Thanks so much. Take, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, this is such a reasonable approach. Exactly what we would do if we didn't have the media scaring people to death in, in this unprecedented lockdown that took place. Uh, and it, by the way, it's also in keeping with what the scripture would say about how we deal with uh, infectious diseases and threats to society. Join me now to talk more about this. David Clawson here at FRC with our biblical worldview. Um, so, David, I mean, that's essentially how Scripture has handled this in the Old Testament, where it talks about how you deal with uh, infectious diseases. No, that's true, Tony, which is really interesting. You know, people say, what does the Bible have to say about this issue or that issue? But the Bible has so much to speak to all the issues we deal with. And in the Old Testament, in the, in the Pentateuch, uh, there are passages that actually do deal with outbreaks of mold or outbreaks of infectious disease. And then it talks about quarantining and how the priest will oversee that process. But you don't lock down the healthy. You don't lock down the healthy or lock down the community or lock down the religious worship of the community either. Yeah, well, and that's what I want to get to because they make reference to this about the, the increased issues, the, uh, um, the, the mental health. And, of course, I would say that we could connect the social instability as we've basically shuttered our churches in the last eight months and we see all the civil unrest. There's a connection to that. And that's one of the reasons we're doing uh, Freedom Sunday this coming Sunday night at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California. We'll be addressing this with a host of individuals, including uh, John MacArthur, uh, Rob McCoy, all these uh, number of pastors who have been threatened or fined uh, for opening their churches. We have Eric McTaxis will be a part of that. Dr. Al Mohler will be a part of it, laying out the biblical foundation of why churches need to meet. I mean, we now have the social science. America is uh, afraid at the edges, and part of it is because the churches have not been meeting. No, it's true. We, we have the social science that shows that substance abuse is up, alcohol abuse is up, uh, all, all sorts of social maladies are, are on the rise, and they have been ever since the onset of this pandemic and the forced closure of churches. And I'm excited about this event, Freedom Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday, Tony. We're going to hear from pastors who have stood up 
uh, against. And it's important, for, you know, for everyone to realize, you know, at the beginning of this, we were told 15 days to right. flatten the curve. To, to slow the spread. Slow the it, spread. And I was walking through the airport yesterday, and it was about stopping the spread, that we need to do these things to stop the spread. You're not going to stop the spread. And, and that's it. We've been we've been sold a bill of goods here. We were and, and churches complied. I've done the research. Ninety nine point nine percent of churches that were told to cease in person gatherings at the beginning of this pandemic, they did. But now that as things have opened up, unfortunately, you see state and local authorities going after churches yeah. in six states. Actually, right now, California being the biggest offender. Uh, churches are just not being treated fairly, whereas abortion clinics, liquor stores are, are allowed to, casinos are allowed to open where churches are being just unfairly treated. Right. I, again, I use, I've used this illustration many times, but it's fresh in my mind because I'm always getting off of airplanes. Every seat on an airplane filled for two and a half, three hours, uh, people sitting elbow to elbow, but you can't sit in a church uh, for 90 minutes. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why pastors need to be very clear that church is essential. It's and, more than and, essential. Yeah. Uh, it's God ordained uh, and it needs to be happening. Now, that said, with the proper precautions, those that are in high risk categories, encourage them not to come use alternative services for them. Uh, something else, you know, take the necessary precautions, but by all means, obey Scripture. Yeah, and, and Scripture is clear that we are supposed to gather for preaching and teaching and the ordinances. And when man tells us that we can't meet, uh, again, that's just not fair, and uh, we need to take a stand. And I think that's what we're going to underscore this Sunday. We're, we're to meet even more so as we see the day approaching. Yes. And all of the, everything we see is pointing to the day. Appointing, uh, approaching. All right, folks, you can find out more about Freedom Sunday. Go to freedomsunday2020.com, freedomsunday2020.com. All the details about the event, how you can be a part of it, 8 p.m. Eastern time this Sunday evening. David Clawson, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Tony. And, folks, thank you for being with us. And until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6 where he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.